Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The Teledavsidus podcast is sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook. The first Sunday of the NFL season is here, and the excitement continues with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. DraftKings is giving all new customers a can't-miss offer to celebrate the return of the NFL season. Bet just $1 on any football game this weekend and receive $200 in free bets instantly, no matter what, with no strings attached. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new customers $200 in free bets instantly when they bet at least $1 on any football game this weekend for week one of the NFL. And best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top of the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any week one game. That's promo code THPN to get your free $200 in free bets instantly this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or an Indiana 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Welcome back to another edition of the Tell It As It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I am your host, as always, Griffin Youngs. Hope you have enjoyed your week so far. Up to this point, we are now less than three weeks away from the Avalanche's first preseason game against the Golden Knights, and even less than that, less than a week away from development camp opening for the rookies ahead of the rookie tournament in Arizona. Telling you, it's all going to be here before you know it, and by the time this episode is released on Thursday, it will be week one of the NFL. Stuff is coming back. Fall, this fall is the best season because the weather gets nicer, football starts, and then hockey starts just a month after. Fall is unequivocally the best season. It's still kind of hot out here in Maryland for the moment, but it is set to cool down at any point, plus not to mention October also has my birthday, so maybe I'm a little biased in that regard, but we are getting so close every single day. 
A new season brings nothing but optimism and hope and expectations of a Stanley Cup, especially for a team as good as the Avalanche. But today, it's not really going to be about optimism. It's going to be about the exact opposite thing. I want to look at how this season can go wrong. What are the? How could the Avalanche have their season be derailed? This is a negative Nancy episode. Now, before I jump into this, let me be clear. This is not what I think is going to happen. I'm just going to be looking at the ways that it could happen. Now, when I say it, what am I referring to? I think the biggest disaster, I mean, the biggest disaster for any team in any season is to not make the playoffs. That is a disaster, especially for the Avalanche. Obviously, that would be a year removed from the President's Trophy and not make the playoffs. That would be probably one of the biggest disasters in franchise history. So let's be a little more fair. Let's say outside of the top three in the Central Division, they sneak into a wild card spot. They regress back to the 2018 and 2019 seasons where they were the second wild card. They go all the way back there. We'll, we'll refer to that as a down season because the expectation is completely that we're going to win the Central Division. And just so we're clear, I fully believe that's going to happen. But I've just been in the mood recently to to have this kind of episode where just we look at ways this season could go wrong. And it's not like it's a small list. I mean, to be fair, every team has a million ways their season could be derailed. And the Avalanche are no different. I mean, last year could have gone completely derailed if a couple things happened and a couple things shook out differently. An injury here, cold streak there. Like, it can all change day by day. But for this episode... I want to look at the ways that this season for the Avalanche could go wrong. The worst case scenarios. Now, I put out a poll on my Twitter a few hours ago looking at what the fans thought would be the worst case scenario for this upcoming season. I laid out four options. I laid out a Darcy Kemper injury, a Rantanen Landeskog injury, slash and or Rantanen Landeskog injury, depth scoring drying up, or Jack Johnson playing 42 games, essentially half of the season. I did not include Nathan McKinnon for obvious reasons. If McKinnon goes down for any extended period of time, this team is in deep, deep shit. I don't think we need to spend any time talking about why McKinnon is a top three player at worst in the NHL. Losing him puts this team in a world of hurt. Nazem Kadri becomes your number one center, and Joe Sturkopfer becomes two, and you are trying to replace the dynamic skill set that Nathan McKinnon brings. When we can just be honest, that won't happen, and this team will suffer because of it. So we don't have to spend too much time on that aspect. McKin Let's just, for this whole scenario, I'm going to be assuming that Nathan McKinnon, the backbone of this team, will be healthy for the whole season, give or take being banged up here or there. Let's say he plays 75 games this season. So we're going to go ahead with that assumption that McKinnon is healthy for the strong majority of the season. Because it's, it's a team losing their star player, yeah, that's going to sink the season. So that's really not an interesting topic to bring up at all. But I laid out the Kemper injury, Rantanen slash Landeskog injury, depth scoring drying up, and Jack Johnson playing half of the season. And so far, about... 
six hours into the poll, we are at 47% believe that a Darcy Kemper injury would be the worst case scenario for this upcoming season. A Rantanen slash Landeskog injury, 26%. Depth scoring drying up, 13%. And Jack Johnson playing half the season, 14%. So basically, depth scoring and Jack Johnson are pretty much tied, but the Kemper injury runs away with it by 21%. And I must say, I am inclined to agree. When I when I initially started writing up the plan for this episode, the very first thing that popped into my head was Darcy Kemper getting injured is the most is the is the worst case scenario for the Avalanche. They bet they bet a ton of assets on him, the first and Connor Timmons for a one year contract. And the concern right away, while Kemper is a great goalie, is that he does have an injury history and let's just say we are 20 games into the season and we see a repeat of what happened with Kemper last year in Arizona when he ironically played the avalanche he's outstanding for two periods and all of a sudden he just doesn't look comfortable anymore and he just leaves and Ranta comes in and Kemper from what I remember is not seen again for several months if if at all during that entire season for the Coyotes. I think he played like the end of the season, but that was about halfway through. And he missed a strong portion of the season right after that. So assuming that happens, Kemper goes down, and all of a sudden the Avalanche are left with Pavel Francouz and Jonas Johansson as their 1-2. Now, I know a lot of people have a lot of confidence in Pavel Francouz to bounce back right away and be outstanding. And I got to say I'm just not all that sold on that yet. I need I need to see it from him cuz I just haven't seen it in for I don't know if it's just the last time he played it left a bad taste in my mouth or the fact that he just he hasn't played in over a year. I mean when he did play, he was great. 34 games in 1920, a 9.23, and six games in the playoffs. He was an 8.92, which was not good. But Pavel Francouz is also 31 years old and took this long to play 36 games in the NHL. I mean, I got to be honest. I mean, last year when it came to Grubauer, I was Mr. Positive. Give the guy a break. He's been outstanding. I don't see the complaint against him. I feel like I'm on the opposite side of this here. All I see is optimism for Pavel Francouz and that he's going to be great and we're finally going to get him back and this team's going to have a solid one-two punch and goal. I just, to be totally honest, I'm not entirely convinced because you see this sometimes from goalies. They have, they Relative unknowns, you see it more often in younger goalies, but sometimes in goalies a little older. They come into the league, there's not a ton of tape on them, they're capable of stopping NHL shots and they come in and they're great and then all of a sudden some years down the line sometimes even the next year a little bit of footage gets out on them and then all of a sudden they just don't seem to to have it anymore you see it all the time and just if nothing else Francois hasn't played a hockey game in over a year ever since we were against Dallas in the bubble I mean that was at this point, over a year at this point. And we don't know how bad that injury truly was. And he he's not young and chipper 
anymore. He's not a 23-year-old whose body can just bounce back from anything. He's 31. I mean, he's played professional hockey his entire life. He played in the KHL for a long time. He's been in the, he's played internationally for the Czech Republic a lot. And there is going to be wear and tear on him. So I, I am a little curious how he is going to bounce back from those injuries. And if all of a sudden Kemper goes down and we're left with Francois, I'm just not sold on that yet. I, I need to see it from him first. And I need to see it also knowing that we have Kemper. Because I don't know if Francois is going to be that guy. And based on his body of work in the NHL, based on when he was Grubauer's backup and taking over for Grubauer during times when Grubauer was hurt, he was that guy, and he could be that guy. And the only time he really ever wasn't was in the playoffs against Dallas. And fortunately, I'm not talking about the playoffs here. I'm talking about just the regular season. So I don't want to be pessimistic on him. I'm rooting for him, and I hope that he bounces back from that injury fully and is ready to go, but unfortunately, I do have my doubts, and then you're digging into your goalie well of going back to Jonas Johansson, who I admittedly like, and I'm happy that we did bring him back, and I, to be fair, I do like Johansson as a number three in case of injuries, whether it be to Francois or Kemper. I mean, we all remember the, the narrative around JoJo when he came to Colorado. He was the worst goalie in years in Buffalo. I forget who tweeted that, some stuck-up Buffalo report. And then he comes to Colorado, plays behind their defense, and is a 9-13 in eight games. And I, quite frankly, really had no issues with him. I thought he was solid, and I like him as a third option. But the, the difference between him and Francois is that I've seen it from JoJo recently, and I know what he is capable of. Francois, to me, is just, I can't even really make a fair assessment on him, because he's just a whole other wild card. Who knows how his body is going to bounce back, A, from the injury, and just not having played in forever. Maybe maybe he's super fresh and super limber and ready to go. He's worked out a ton, and he's just raring to go and ready to tackle the rigors of a full NHL season, whether that be probably 35-ish games would probably be the the minimum target for him, I would think, with Kemper and not trying to overwork Kemper. But if he if the the worst case scenario does happen and Kemper does get injured, is Francois going to be able to handle that load? And maybe he can. I don't want to say that he can't because when he's been in the net during the regular season in the small sample size that we have of him, he has been able to do it. But that was a while ago now. And just to, in Frank, I need to see it again from him. And maybe it'll take a while. Maybe maybe it won't take until December for Francois to truly be comfortable in the net again. And that's fine. It take it sometimes it takes a while. Being a goalie is a very mental position. You know, it's, if you're just a little bit off, it screws you up and tanks your save percentage from a 9-10 all the way down to a godforsaken 900. I mean, isn't it kind of funny how we measure goalies? We go from, oh, they're a 9-10, they're great. Oh, they're a 900, they're garbage. Like we're essentially looking at 1% 
That's all we're looking at here. You look at, I mean, 900 is 90%, and 910 is 91. All we're looking at is a simple 1% of saves, which granted, when you 100 shots, that's an extra goal. I mean, eventually that all adds up over time, but I just always found it funny that, oh, this guy's an 890, he's terrible, get him out of the league. Oh, 91% starting goalie, play him every night. I mean, that's just how it works, and I'm not saying it's unfair, but when you really think about it, it's a, it's a little funny. But Francois, I want to have faith in him. I don't want to be pessimistic, but I do need to see it from him again. And if Kemper gets injured, there's a real possibility that it, it sinks the team and that they're just not as good as their potential suggest they can be. You need you need goaltending to win. You can build this outstanding team all you want. You can have Nathan McKinnon. You can have Ranton. You can have them putting up however many goals you want a night. If you can't get a save, you're screwed. It's just that simple in the NHL. Goaltending is the most volatile and most important position in the league. If you're not getting saves, quite simply, you're not going to win. So we need Kemper to be healthy, and if he does get hurt, we're gonna be in some trouble. Maybe Francois can bail us out a bit, but even even me at my most optimistic worries about him taking over a starting role, and I think that's fair. He just hasn't done that in his career. Maybe he has in the KHL back when he played there, but again, I'll just have to see it from him, and the hope is that Kemper can stay healthy, but if he can't, I, I tend to agree with the poll. That could be the worst-case scenario for the team this upcoming season. You know, and maybe Kemper doesn't even have to get injured. Maybe he's just not what he's advertised. It can also just be that. doesn't have to be that he's not available. could just be what we saw last year in Arizona, which was not his best season, admittedly, is just what he is now. And the few seasons that he was incredible in Arizona were a mirage. And if we get the 907... Kemper that played 27 games last year for Arizona um this we might have trouble keeping pucks out of our net if we get the 928 Kemper from the year before and the Kemper that was outstanding in the first three games of our playoff series against him in the bubble we will be just fine and almost certainly in contention for the president's trophy again but this is all just a big long roundabout way to say that goaltending probably is the most important thing for the Avalanche this season, and there's just a ton of question marks around it. I am confident in Darcy Kemper, and to a lesser extent, Pavel Frantzos, but I believe that Kemper is very good, and when he's healthy, can take this team very far, especially behind a defense as good as Colorado's. But there's sometimes just nothing you can do about injuries. Sometimes they just happen, and there's nothing you can do about it, and sometimes goalies just don't have it anymore. No, Kemper's not young either. He's the same age as Francois. He's 31. Sometimes goalies, they are good one year, and they're terrible the next. And then sometimes they're great again. You see it all the time. And so maybe being a 925 and a 928 and a 907, maybe it's a downward trajectory. Maybe last year was an outlier. There's just simply no way of telling at this point. So it's definitely the most important part for this upcoming season. And if we're being realistic, the most realistic thing that could sink the season, because the other things that we're going to talk about, if as long as they don't spiral out of control 
they won't sink the season. This could. I mean, this is the real only thing that I could say, yeah, if that happens, the Avalanche will be in a world of shit because they just don't have many other options. Because with the other stuff, they have other options. They have the ability to survive it, but in goal, they really just don't. They don't have like a a young goalie that's just waiting to to get his opportunity in the wings. They they have Pavel Frantsos, who in himself is a question mark. I'd say almost as big, if not bigger, a question mark than Darcy Kemper. Because I know when Darcy Kemper is healthy, he's going to be great. I I want to believe that with Frantsos. I really do. But I need to see him on the ice again before I can make that judgment. I don't have a fair way to make a judgment right now. And if you're playing Jonas Johansson, that means one of them got hurt. And I like JoJo. But he's also probably not going to be the guy that wins you very many games. You know, I think teams underestimated him last year, and they'll probably underestimate him again coming into this season. And it's just... If he's playing, that means something has gone wrong. I believe in him enough to be a stopgap. Like, let, like, there's no way both goalies just go completely, completely through the season, just completely unscathed. JoJo is probably going to have to step in a couple times. And for a game or two, and maybe even a couple more, I think he'll be fine. As a long-term option, I would definitely have my doubts with that. So... Make a long story short, goaltending is the most realistic option that could sink the avalanche this season, whether it be, most realistically, Kemper's health or if he's just not as good as we think he is. And also, if it comes down to Franco's, is he ready to come back? Does he still have it in the tank after being out for a year? And do we have the goaltending depth to survive it if it ever came to us losing one or both. And to be fair, many teams don't. And goaltending is the thing that sinks all teams almost all the time. Teams that disappoint, you just look in net and you'd be like, oh, they're not making saves. And the Avalanche are no different here, but they are more vulnerable than other teams, I would say, when it came to net. But moving on from the goaltending situation, which I think is the most important to what I think would be the second most important thing for the Avalanche and the second most likely to sink the season, but to a lesser extent, and that is a repeat of 2019, where Rantanen is dealing with injuries and Landeskog is dealing with injuries, or just one of them. I worry about our ability to replace them on that top line, especially long-term. Burakovsky is just about really the only option that they have at this point. There's no more sod, and Nachushkin could be an option, but the, the guy just doesn't score. Unless he's just feeling it for 10 games, then he'll score about five goals in that stretch and then never again. There's Alex Newhook, but young, unproven, and may, maybe he's great this season, but... I wonder about our ability to replace that depth. And the and the guy that I always seem to be forgetting about is Donskoy. He's gone too. Back in 2019, when Rantanen and Landeskog were out, it would usually be Burakovsky or Donskoy stepping up in their place with McKinnon 
on that top line. And I worry now about our wing depth's ability to replace either of them. I don't think it's as good as it was. Not saying it's impossible, but let's say you remove Landeskog from the equation, you bump Burakovsky up, then you've got Burakovsky, McKinnon, Rantanen on your top line, Nichushkin, Kadri, Kompfer on your second line, and I mean, losing a top player like that is going to hurt any team, but if we have another 2019 scenario on our hands, then it, it could get pretty ugly, and McKinnon has been up to that task before. He was a pretty much one of the only reasons that we ended up surviving that season as well as we did, and he he should have won MVP for it. I'm not over that, by the way. I can't believe Dreisaitl won MVP over McKinnon that season just because Dreisaitl scored more points. He plays with McDavid. Dreisaitl and McDavid are on the same team, and McDavid is the most valuable player in the league, but he wasn't up for it that year, and it should have been McKinnon. That should have been McKinnon's MVP. I don't know if he'll ever get one. I think he'll get one, but it's going to have to be when McDavid is hurt or just takes a step back or when McKinnon just has an unbelievable 130-point season. But he should he should have multiple throughout his career. And it's a shame that he's stuck in the same time as McDavid. But if this happens again and Rantanen and Landeskog miss time, it could be another opportunity for McKinnon to jump right in and get a Hart Trophy this season that he should have gotten back in 2020 because I'm still not over that, because he deserved it. But getting back to the point, the top line is pretty much the, the surefire thing on the offense, and starting to take that away, having Landis Gog or Rantanen be taken out of the, that equation. Again, we're, we don't need to talk about McKinnon being taken out of that. I think we all understand the, the, the impact that would have to lose McKinnon from the lineup. We don't need to talk about that, and... The top line, it's, it's the best top line in the league. I still believe that. The Bruins, it's still very, very good. I just don't think it's as good as McKinnon, Landis, Gog, Rantanen. And then all of a sudden, one of them goes down. You're, you're picking up pieces already from a depleted depth. And don't get me wrong, the depth is still good. We're going to touch on that a lot more later. The depth is still good, but you're already going to be picking from it and taking Burakovsky off of that second line, plugging him in with the top line, putting Nachushkin up in the lineup, probably putting Maltsev up in the lineup as well. Or you could take New Hook and plug him into that top line just to skill for skill and see it when he'll be ready to jump into a higher role in the NHL. And maybe he does that on the second line right away to begin the season. I guess it all depends on training camp. And I think in this worst case scenario, that would be the best case scenario is if Newhook can jump in there and allow the depth to kind of stay intact and keep Burakovsky on the second line because Burakovsky's really good. He's just he's not always the best with that top line. He just doesn't always have the best chemistry with McKinnon and Rantanen and with Landeskog to an extent at certain points as well. He works a lot better on the second line. So Newhook being able to come in there in case of injuries would be a best case scenario here, but that's all just one big wild card at this point. I guess I, I've kind of already been dancing around. The next reason or the next worst case scenario that could 
sink the season is the depth scoring dries up. This has been one of my bigger concerns coming out of this offseason. A lot of names lost and not really anybody brought in to replace any of them. You lost Donskoy, you lost Saad, two big parts of your top nine. And really the only replacements for them would be Newhook internally and trading for Mikhail Maltsev. And yes, they signed Darren Helm, but he's a he's a fourth line guy. And maybe some days he'll see the third line. But th- this is just what I'm talking about here. There are realistically a lot of ways that the depth scoring of this team could dry up a lot like it did in the the early playoff runs as second wild card when this team was essentially just their top line. Nazem Kadri was cold for a lot of last season. Last season was not a season for him to write home about at all. And Burakovsky, as much as I love him, is a very hot and cold player. Now, I personally think, this is just my opinion, that Burakovsky is going to have an outstanding season. He's going to have a big breakthrough year a year removed from unrestricted free agency. I wouldn't be surprised to see him approach 30 goals. I think he's going to be great. But I also know from Burakovsky that sometimes things just don't work out for him. And sometimes he goes on a slump of 10, 15 games. That that can't be a thing for him this year. There's got to be a lot more consistency, a lot more consistent scoring. We can't have these 10-game stretches where he's just... A guy, he's base, he's a team employee basically he hardly even qualifies as a player we need a lot more consistency from him and as i talked about with kadri he did not have a good year last year he was very very cold he did some things very well his underlying numbers even during his slumps were great but he needs to find ways to get pucks into the net whether it's off his stick or off burakovsky's or off new hook or comfort and speaking of comfort Comfer is going to have an increased role this season, and we're going, to, we're going to need him to be way better than he was last year. And I think he can do it, but if he repeats his performance from last year, we're going to be in some trouble. Because let's, let's say you bump New Hook up to the second line and you put Comfer down on the third, Nachushkin, Jost, and Comfer. You've got a rookie playing on your second line, Kadri could go cold. Burakovsky is always hot and cold, inconsistent. Who knows what could come from that? Comfort could be rotating in, rotating in on that second line a lot. And if he's not able to find a way to get back to his previous seasons where he was just a lot better, a 16-goal season, and he came on strong at the end last year, it, re- like, it really doesn't feel like he scored 10 goals, but he scored a hat trick at the end of the season last year, I believe. If I, if I remember that right, wasn't it like the second to last game of the season against the Kings when we were hunting for the, the President's Trophy? He like put up a hat trick in like a 7-1. to one. Yeah, this yeah a 6 nothing. the second to last game of the season. He puts up a hat trick that takes him all the way from 7 to 10. And I believe he scored in that big last game against Vegas as well. So all of a sudden, he went from like six goals to 10 in the final three games of the season, which feels a lot more accurate. Six goals in 48 games for him. And that just can't 
be a thing anymore. He's never been a big-time goal scorer. I mean, you look at his career, 13, 16, 11, and last year, 10. I mean, really more six outside of that absurd bender at the end of the season. But he's going to need a a big bounce back in a lot of ways. And Nachushkin, I love him. He's a great defensive forward. He There's just not a lot of scoring touch to him. Some Sometimes he's really hot and scores five goals in two days. And other times he doesn't score a goal for two months. And even when he's not scoring, he's playing well defensively and being responsible. But now that there's not as now that there's not Assad and Adonskoy to put those pucks in the net, they're gonna need more offensive production from him as well. And we're gonna see if he's able to do that. But if he can't, goals are gonna have to come from somewhere. And Tyson Jost. Still not much of a scorer. Seven goals last year in 54 games. Eight goals in 67 the year before. He had 11 in 70 games in 18-19. And maybe he can take a step forward this year. But do you see what I'm getting at here? There's not a ton of potential for goals here. Burakovsky, I think, is really the only guy who has potential to put up a lot of of depth scoring. When I say depth scoring, I mean not the first line. That's always been the case with the Avalanche. Anything after that is depth scoring. Burakovsky, I think, has the potential for a lot of goals this season, but there's also the possibility that he doesn't. And Kadri, I think he does have a bounce back year, but if he repeats last year and... I mean, if Kadri and Comfer are struggling, or Newhook, for that matter, on the second line, then Burakovsky is going to struggle to put pucks in as well. So... There's a realistic way that depth scoring could dry up here because after that, you've got Darren Helm, who just, I mean, it's Darren Helm. I mean, did anyone even remember that he played in the NHL before he signed here? Because I didn't. I thought he retired. I, You could have told me that Darren Helm retired three years ago, and I would have completely believed you. Three goals in 47 games last year, nine goals in 68 the year before, and seven in 61 the year before that. This guy might put up five goals the entire season. Do not rely on him to score anything. He is a penalty kill specialist. That is what he's going to do. Mikhail Maltsev could be an interesting case. He has some potential. He's never been a big scorer wherever he's been. He's never really had big roles wherever he's been in his career either, but he had six goals in 33 games last year with the Devils. We'll see what we can get out of him, but I think we can get some depth scoring out of him, but not much. And then you got Logan O'Connor, who I love, but he's not going to put a ton of goals in the net. I mean, I feel like I've said that about a lot of guys so far, right? Burakovsky is going to put up a lot of goals. Kadri, it depends on his bounce back. Kompfer has never really put up a ton of goals. Nichushkin never really put up a ton of goals. Neither is Jost, neither is Helm. Maltsev's unproven. Newhook is a rookie. And O'Connor has never put up a ton of goals. And our depth guys aren't really going to do much else either. I mean, who's who on the, the depth chart's going to put pucks in the net? Is, it gonna, is, is Sampo Ranta going to come in all of a sudden and put pucks in the net? Is it going to be a Dylan Sakura who comes in? The quick answer to all that is no, they're not going to do that. So... Unfortunately, I do see a way where the depth scoring does dry up. And not not to be fully pessimistic on it, I think it's still good and still has the potential 
to be a good second and third line. I mean, your fourth line's just not really going to score a ton of goals. That's never been their job. But losing Donskoy and Saad is going to be tough to replace, especially just with the only addition of Darren Helm to that top nine at all. I mean, Alex Newhook is going to plug in there, hopefully, and it works out. I mean, there's also an optimistic scenario. Burakovsky is on fire and scoring consistently. Newhook is ready for the NHL and is putting up points, and Kadri bounces back. All of a sudden, you have an outstanding second line, but I feel like it's two sides of the same coin. I think it's 50-50 either way. Burakovsky, as much as I think he's going to be great, Kadri needs to be better, and Newhook is an unproven commodity. So we'll see on all fronts with that, and Kompfer, again, like Nachushkin, like Jost, Never really been a goal scorer. All defensively responsible, but there's going to need to be people that put the puck in the net outside of the first line. And I have full confidence in the first line to get that done, but there's going to need to be more from a lot. There's ne- there's going to need to be growth from everyone. Jost is going to have to take a step forward. Nachushkin's going to need to increase his offensive production. Burakovsky needs to score consistently. Kadri needs to bounce back. Kompfer needs to be better. And outside of that, I think our I think our fourth line is very well constructed. I like uh, Maltsev and O'Connor and Helm. I think will be good defensively. And so, again, this is not my opinion of what I think is going to happen. I'm just looking at the possibility of it happening and how it could possibly sink the season. Because we're I mean we can always be upbeat and believe the Avalanche are going to take number one, but it's hockey and anything happens. Players go cold, things go wrong. So that's all we're looking at here. I don't really believe a lot of that is going to happen. I believe in the depth of this team, even without Saad and without Donskoy, who can... I mean, those guys didn't put up a ton of goals either, but they are difficult goals to replace at the end of the day. And moving on to the final worst-case scenario for this team for this upcoming season, and that would be at the opposite end of the ice, where Bo Byram isn't ready and Eric Johnson just isn't up to speed anymore, and defensive depth dries up, and getting to the other part of that poll, the other worst-case scenario, Jack Johnson is forced to play hockey games. Now, if you listened to my Jack Johnson episode, you will know as to why I think that is horrible and a disaster unto itself. I mean, Jack Johnson playing hockey games is one of the worst-case scenarios. I think that's worse than anything other than Kemper I've listed so far. I think in order it goes Kemper, Jack Johnson playing half the season, depth scoring drying up, and Ranton and Landeskog missing time. Jack Johnson's not an NHL player, but for, for us to get to that point, Bo Byron would have to not be ready for the NHL, and Eric Johnson will either get injured again or just isn't the same anymore after dealing with so many injuries in his career. And this this also extends to Curtis McDermott to a lesser extent. I don't mind McDermott playing a couple games because I mean we paid assets for him, so you might as well use him for Christ's sake. But Johnson, if he's on the team past training camp, that's not good. And if he's playing games, that's even worse. And we're we're relying quite not heavily, but we're relying on Byram to be ready to go this season. And I think he is. I think he was ready last year before his injuries and everything. So I'm not really concerned about 
this one too much. I'm concerned about Johnson playing, but I'm not concerned with Byram all that much. But there is always the possibility that he's just not fully ready yet. I, th I think at worst, he's ready for a third pair. I think at worst, he's ready for that. Eric Johnson, another bigger concern. I think in the same vein as Franco's. I mean, we all love Eric Johnson. He's been here forever, and when he's healthy, he's pretty good, but that's just the problem. He's just not all that healthy sometimes. He played four games last year. He was injured to begin the season, and then four games later, he's out for the entire season after that. So we'll see if he's ready to go this season, but one or two of them, Johnson, Byram, going down or just not being very good anymore, opens the door for Curtis McDermott first and then Jack Johnson, unfortunately, after that. And worst case scenario on the defense is if there is ever a pairing of Curtis McDermott and Jack Johnson, I will simply keel over and die because I will not, I won't watch that game. I will not watch Curtis McDermott and Jack Johnson take the ice for a same pairing. I will keep track of the score and just save myself the headache. That is 100% a worst case scenario for this upcoming season. And I still don't understand why Jack Johnson is here at all, to be frank. And I don't need to get into Johnson. I have a whole episode describing why I don't like Jack Johnson. when did this happen? Artemin Nisimov is on a PTO with the app. This must have literally just happened. I'm I was looking at the cap friendly where Jack Johnson's listed for training camp, and above him is Artemin Nisimov. Did this happen today? Did I just completely miss this? Artem okay, this was two hours ago. Artemin Nisimov signs a PTO with the Avalanche. Okay, I am completely unprepared for this, but Artem Anisimov spent the last two years with the Senators, and he's always been a decent depth guy. He spent some time with the Rangers and the Blue Jackets and with the Blackhawks. Never really been anything special. His time in Chicago, he was pretty good, a 20-goal guy for three straight years, 15 goals after that and goes to Ottawa in a trade, I believe I'm doing this right. Yes, he was traded for Zach Smith in what was at the time kind of a surprising deal. And he was not great in Ottawa. 15 goals in 49 games, only 20 points. And then last year, 19 games and two goals, nine points. I don't really remember exactly what happened with him. Again, I am completely unprepared for this. I've literally found out about this right now as I'm recording. I completely missed it. Did they even announce this earlier? Like, I have the Avalanche and Peter Balls continue, like, their notifications on. Like, did I just completely skip over this somehow? Two hours ago. No, I didn't at all. This was just I, this was just not announced at all. This was just an under-the-radar PTO signing. Was this announced by anybody? Artem Anisimov? Mov. Yeah, Hockey Hound two hours ago had this. Okay, so Cat Friendly themselves announced it. I do not have their notifications on. That's how I missed this. I'm usually so good at catching all of those things, but... Uh, I guess this answers some of my depth questions.
questions? This is this is much better than Jack Johnson. Make no mistake. This is a PTO that actually makes a lot of sense now that I'm thinking about it. More added depth, experienced guy. I I can see him getting a contract out of training camp. He's not a washed up bum. I mean, to be fair, I I don't know much about Artem Anisimov. I haven't watched him play in a while, and obviously he wasn't great in, where was he, Ottawa last year, but there, I think there is still something there with him, I can see him working on that fourth line, I think this is Maltsev insurance, in case Maltsev is just not that good, and again, Arnimisimov, he's a center and a left wing, so in case there's anything, this is just more depth, more center depth, wing depth, don't expect Anisimov to jump in ever any higher than the third line unless something catastrophic ever happens. It, that, that is, of course, saying that he gets a contract out of training camp, and I think that he will. He'll get a league minimum deal out of camp. You don't take a PTO and expect anything more than league min. Mike Hoffman is a once-in-a-blue-moon exception to that rule last year with St. Louis, but I'm I'm a fan of that. I I did not know about that. I'm not playing this up. I literally had no idea about this until I was looking at the cap friendly and did a double take as I was looking at Jack Jones. I was like, uh, Ar- Artemon, when did that happen? And then according to that, it happened two hours ago. And the Avalanche Twitter and Peter just never announced it. Cap friendly had it first and I completely missed it. So I like that. Uh, Nisimov, I mean, it's not, he's not going to change anything. He's not going to be a game breaker, but plug him in on the fourth line and just see what he can do. You know what I mean? That's always been my thing with Maltsev is we got him for Graves and along with the pick and we kind of just penciled him into the fourth line. And I've always been, really? Are you sure you want him playing the full, that's your plan is to play him the full season and we don't have anyone better than really Sakura or... I mean, rely on Kaut in that way to replace him in case Maltsev is just not that good. So this this makes sense. I can I can see this working. You can just in a vacuum. You can rotate Anisimov and Maltsev as needed. Maltsev is ten years younger than Anisimov, and yeah, I can I can see this working out. And before I wrap up on that, from what I remember from his time in Ottawa, the reason that he just wasn't working out there is that Ottawa just wanted to play the younger guys, and Anisimov is not young anymore. He's 33 now. So that's the reason why he wasn't getting a ton of playing time in Ottawa last year. I mean, you look at that on paper, it's like, oh, man, he wasn't getting playing time in Ottawa? This guy must be terrible. But Ottawa was still rebuilding last year and trying out their youth movement, and Anisimov just didn't fit that plan anymore so he only played 19 games and just by looking at his his numbers pulling them quick pulling quickly pulling up a j fresh player card on him his finishing percentage was terrible he did not have any shooting luck at all last year and when you look at some of his numbers 21 percent wins above replacement percentage 47 percent offense five percent defense 15 percent power play don't need to worry about that at all. I mean, his his wins above replacement percentage tanked last year. He went from over 50 his first year in Ottawa to, I don't even know how low that is. That's close to zero. 
that's very, very close to a 0% wins above replacement percentage. But yeah, quality of competition, 9%. And so don't don't expect big things from this. It's a PTO. You don't get big things from a PTO, but I like the idea of adding additional depth. I mean, this was the, the PTO that I was expecting all along, not Anisimov specifically, but in the same vein as Anisimov, one of the free agents is still available. You bring them in on a PTO, see what they have, and if it, they still have something in the tank, you have them as added depth. So I still like that. But anyway, getting back to the point here and moving on to the final reason or worst case scenario for the Avalanche this season, and it has to do with external factors, with the rest of the Central Division, because we're going against all these teams. They've got seasons and stories of their own, and there are ways for all of them to be quite good. So let's say let's say some of these things happen for the Avalanche. I think even in my most pessimistic hours, I can't see this team being any worse than the first wild card. Absolute worst case scenario. Everything has gone wrong. I I can't see them going any farther than that, even in their darkest hour. I 99% of the time this season, they finish first in the Central. But let's say some of these things happen. Let's say Kemper goes down, uh, Landeskog goes down. Say, let's say a mix of these things happen. Kemper, Landeskog, Kadri's cold, and say a couple of those things happen. What could happen outside of the Avalanche's control that could push them further and further down the standings? We can start with Minnesota. If Minnesota... First of all, they have to sign Kaprizov, but if they do, and Kaprizov grows even more and takes his game to another level along with Fiala and gets the same goaltending from Talbot and Kakinen, they're going to be a big problem. Not sold on all that happening, but if that does, they're going to be a big problem. And another team that I am concerned about that they could take a big step forward this season is Winnipeg. They've got Nate Schmidt and Brendan Dillon. Not the best players in the world, but you look at their defensive pairings now, and they actually resemble an actual defense. So Winnipeg, if they can keep scoring and continue to get Hellebuck to be great and now have a proper defense, I think they could be very good and a big threat. Not to overtake the Avalanche at their best, but a a threat for one of those top three or the second and third spot in the Central. Dallas, if they stay healthy and they figure out their goaltending situation, yeah, I could I could see them being a big problem. Like I talked about with Jeffrey Fink a couple episodes ago talking about Dallas. I think they could be pretty good this year. I like the way they built their defense. Maybe not the best offense in the world, but Radulov healthy, Sagan healthy. If they stay healthy, if Rupe Hintz stays healthy, and Hudobin stays healthy. I mean, the, the key for Dallas is staying healthy. If they stay healthy, I think they're going to make the playoffs, and we'll see how high their ceiling is, but they're going to be good. And if St. Louis gets Jordan Bennington to play like a $6 million goalie, then they're going to be pretty good this year. I, I mean, something horrible would have to happen, I think, for the Avalanche to be below St. Louis, but St. Louis is definitely still a problem. I like I like their addition of Saad as much as I'll miss him. I think he fits real well there. They never traded Tarasenko. I'm interested to see how that scenario plays out. But I like their depth, and their defense is okay. I mean, again, things would have to go horribly for this to happen. But, again, we, de- we just never know. 
St. Louis if they get Bennington to be really good and scoring depth to continue. Maybe you could see a case. Chicago is definitely a wild card in this division. Not literally finishing a wild card spot. I mean, in the literal sense, they are a wild card no one knows. If they get Marc-Andre Fleury at the same Vesna caliber that he was last year, along with a healthy Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane still producing, and Alex Dabrinkat being one of the most underrated goal scorers in the league, and with some of their added depth, and let's say Seth Jones doesn't stink in Chicago for at least this year, and along with some of the other pieces that they've added, they could be very good. I mean, Jeffrey predicted them to be second in the Central. I do not agree. I currently have them outside of the playoffs, but I definitely see a way that they could be pretty good this upcoming season. I mean, they've at, they their scoring depth is is deep. They've got guys who can score goals. If Taze is back and healthy, that's a big addition. Kubalik is still around. They added Tyler Johnson. We'll see what he has in the tank. And Jake McCabe is a good pickup for them. I mean, and, and Flurry and Lankin and as a one-two is very, very good. And a lot of this hinges on Marc-Andre Flurry. And if he's the Vesna guy that he was in Vegas, Blackhawks are in good hands and will be a big problem in the Central. If he's just kind of lost his love for it now that he's not in Vegas anymore, I'm not entirely sold on them. But there is a universe where they can be very, very good. And in terms of Nashville and Arizona, I I don't see any way that they could pass us. I, I tried. I tried to think of ways that we could possibly finish lower than them. And I've got nothing. I, I just don't see any possible way that could happen you know at freezing cold takes I know we'll see what happens 82 games later maybe Nashville gets Philip Forsberg to be outstanding or what whatever rookie whose name I don't know that everyone will know at the end of the season maybe UC Soros stops every shot he sees Arizona's a team of destiny I know freezing cold takes exposed we'll deal with that later but I don't see any way that that could possibly happen this season so even in my most pessimistic Everything goes wrong for the Avalanche. Kemper's down. Ranton and Atlantis Gog are hurt. Second line falls flat. The third and fourth lines aren't exactly built to score goals. Byram isn't ready. Johnson gets hurt. And Jack Johnson's playing games. And everything else for the Central Division goes perfectly. That would just barely put the Avalanche outside of the playoffs. This is maybe a... 0.0001% chance of happening. But it's a thing, and that's what this episode is all about, looking at how this season could possibly go wrong. Not that I believe that these are going to happen, but they are ways that this could possibly go wrong. Now, being realistic, I have the avalanche on top of the division, as really anybody should, and... I am confident in their ability to handle adversity that comes their way this season. I mean, every team has to deal with adversity every season. There's going to be things on this list that happen. There's going to be probably maybe a rant in Scott goes down for a period of time. Maybe even McKinnon, maybe even Kemper. You know, it could be maybe teams in the Central could be very, very good. Maybe Minnesota is really good and gets better. Maybe Winnipeg blows back up again and is going to roar back into cup contention. But I still fully believe in this team, and I anything can happen in a season, 
but I think this team is prepared to deal with things as they come. And they call it worst-case scenarios for a reason. It's a scenario. doesn't mean it's going to happen. There are best-case scenarios for this team, which I can cover next week, even though that probably won't be as interesting. But there are best-case scenarios for this team, where they go through completely healthy. Kemper is a Vesna winner, and Frantzos is just as outstanding. They win the Jennings Trophy, they win the President's Trophy, and they win 16 straight games in the playoffs and are the first team to sweep their way to a Stanley Cup. That's a thing. That's a best-case scenario that could happen as well. But I don't believe that some of these things are going to happen. They're just possibilities. So we'll see how everything goes at the end of the day. We're getting there. We're getting closer and closer to the season beginning. And by the time this is tomorrow, which will be the 9th, we'll be a month and four days away, or maybe a month and three. I forget how many days September has. A month and three. month and three days. Same thing. We're getting there October 13th against the Chicago Blackhawks at Ball Arena. I can't wait. And we're less than three weeks away from the, the preseason beginning. And that's, it's not the regular season. It's not very interesting. But it's hockey. It's hockey being beamed into your eyeballs. It is new stimuli entering your brain, and that's what we all love, so I'm looking forward to it all. We've, I've gotten all my pessimism and negativity out of the way now. I don't need to carry it into the season. Just one big therapy session packed into this episode, so that is going to do it for this edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. For Monday's episode, I have a guest book this time. We worked out the schedules. I will have Blues fan reacts of the Toasted St. Louis pod on to talk St. Louis Blues and what they expect from the Blues in this upcoming season, so keep an eye out for that Monday morning. But as for this edition, Thank you so much for tuning in. I have been your host, Griffin Youngs. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a kind review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from, and I will catch you all next time. Have a wonderful week.